Welcome to Renovate, the young adult ministry of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We are for all young adults. Whether you're far from God or walking close to Him, we believe that our God fully knows us and fully loves us. So instead of leaving us as He finds us, He is constantly and graciously renovating our lives so we can look more like Him. Enjoy this week's message. Amen. All right. Man, hi. How are we doing? Awesome. I love to hear that. My name is Robert. Like Ben said, I have the privilege of being on staff here with Renovate, and I'm so excited to get to talk to you guys tonight, because tonight we are getting to talk about God the Son. If it isn't clear from what you heard from the announcements and from what we're singing, we are unapologetically about Jesus. And so we're going to be jumping all over Scripture tonight, and so um, don't worry, I'll be reading it for you so you don't have to flip there yourself, um, because it's going to be a lot, uh, because we're presenting this picture of who God the Son is. And I'm really excited for that, because I personally believe that Jesus is one of the most misunderstood or misrepresented characters in all of history. Um, Actually, just this week, I got to have this conversation where I ran into someone as I was going about uh, just running some errands out in town and struck up a conversation uh, with this girl. And she asked me what I did for a living. And I was like, hoo-hoo, this could be an interesting conversation. Um, so I decided to lean in, go for it. And I was like, actually, I work at a church. Um, she's like, oh, really? And basically what unfolded after that was she laid out her entire life story of what it had been like growing up in an extremely religious home um, while dealing with sin that just kept nagging at her. And then throughout her adult life, she'd started to process that, and she started to get involved with a church who uh, had a program to help people walk out of that specific sin pattern that she was dealing with, and she wanted to get involved. She wanted to help out because she'd understood that struggle and understood how hard it was. Um, But as she was volunteering and serving with that program, the people who were starting to serve next to her were growing closer to her, walking with her as she was doing that, And she started opening up to them and confessing and saying like, hey, I'm still tempted. I'm still struggling. Um, Would you be praying for me? And what they did next, I don't know the exact details of how it happened, but instead of walking with her and helping her in what community should do, they basically reported her to the director uh, who then came in and told her that this was no longer a place that she could serve. They told her that the place that she had come to want to help others heal and turn them to Jesus was no longer a place that she was welcome. And what she heard from that was Jesus was no longer a safe place for her because the people who were supposed to be helping her, the people who were supposed to be walking with her through what she was struggling with and saying that she was struggling with it, but asking for help, they said, you can't be doing that here. And it broke my heart um, because she said, I know Jesus is there. Like, I know he'll be there. But I got to go heal off on my own right now. I can't be around the church while I'm doing that. And it broke my heart because Jesus, this God that we sing about, that we just sang songs to, should be the one that that is the safest place when we're going through hurt and we want to change, when we want to grow out of it. He should be the only one who can offer us that hope. But it wasn't for her because of the way that people misunderstood or misrepresented Jesus to her. 
And I'm not blind to the fact that there's some people who probably walk through these doors or doors like it at some point in their life with that same premise, that same pretense of coming to hear about a savior who claims to be so good, so forgiving, so loving, so kind. And then when you got into the service or you were around the people, you discovered something drastically different. And so one, I'm sorry. From the bottom of my heart, I am sorry. That is not an example of who our Savior is. And if you're here in this room and that has been your experience, man, I am so, so excited that you are here because I think Jesus wants to do some healing in your life. I think Jesus wants to correct some errors about who he is, whether it's been his people or an inaccurate picture of who he is that has hurt you or left you broken. Man, I think Jesus wants to do something in your life. But we're left with this question of, why is it so hard to get this clear picture of Jesus? Why is it so hard to get this picture of the Savior from the people who invite you here, from the people who you're doing life with, and then even from the stage? Why is it so hard to get this picture or this idea of who our Savior is? Um, because you could walk into 10 different environments and get 10 different representations of who he is. Um, and so tonight, that's what we're going to get to look at. We are going to get to open up scripture and we are going to get to walk through who Jesus says he is. Um, because any of our depictions, any of our examples aren't going to be enough. So we're going to look at who he says he is in his text. But before we do that, before we get going tonight, I want to real quickly set a few parameters for us of just who he is not. Because, right, we have seen some ways that Jesus is misrepresented or mischaracterized. And so I want to just give us a few quick parameters before we dive into this discussion. So the first one of those is who he is not. Jesus is not the justification or moral authority for your political party or your discussion. He's not. Uh, he is not the uh, vote of confidence, the power behind whatever system of belief that you have. He is his own. He does not come confined into boxes that we already put in our social structure. He is his own thing entirely. Second, he is not the mascot for Christianity that we trot out when it's convenient. Um, if your idea, if your picture of Christianity does not begin and end with Jesus as the center, the very one who defines what it is, then it's too small of a picture. You've put him in a box that he was never meant to fit in. He defines the entire picture for us because it's based on him. And then lastly, um, he is not any easily defined or watered-down version of a few character traits that you can grasp. He is not just grace. He is not just truth. He is not just love. He is not just acceptance. He is all of those things and so much more, and a perfect balance. And how does he do it all? Great question. Man, he leaves me in awe every single day with the balance that he is of all those things. Um, but he is not any one of those. And when we try and fit him in one of those small boxes, when we try and condense him or use him to fit into something else that we've already got going in our lives, man, we misrepresent him. We give him a character, we give him an identity that he was never meant to have um, because he's so much bigger than what we try to define him as. So who does he say he is, right? Like now that we've talked about some ways that we've seen people be hurt and ways or who he is not. Who does he say he is? Um, first and foremost, he is the founder of the universe. He is the God over all creation. John 1, 1 through 5 says this. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So here, in this text, when you hear the word, think Jesus. So in the beginning was the word Jesus, and the word Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything that was made. In him was the light of men. So when we ask the question of why is Jesus the cornerstone? Why is he not just the mascot? It's because all of this was created for him and through him. It says right here in the text that not a thing that was made was made without him. And so when we talk about where does he fit, where does he align with all of what we have going on in our lives, he's above it all. He is the one, he is the founder of creation. He is over everything for us. Um, and so he is the creator over all that. Another thing that makes him distinct is that he is the son of God. Matthew three seventeen says, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And so a little context here, this is God the father publicly giving his approval for Jesus about to begin his public ministry. This is when Jesus is being baptized and he's about to start his public ministry where he tells people who he has come to be. And so in this baptism moment, he rises out of the water and a voice from heaven comes down and says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And so he is God in flesh, the son come down from heaven, but he is also still fully God. He did not just come to take on a human form. He is God in human form, fully human, fully God. I know it's confusing. Again, I told you, if there's not some wrestling that you have to do to fit in that box, it's a little bit tough. But uh, Colossians 2, 9 through 10 says, for in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily. That's a confusing sentence. And then you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Basically saying, for in him is the fullness of God in a man, right? Like all of who God is came and put on flesh in this man and he is the head over all authority. So we see this relationship between God the Father and God the Son as they were dwelling together in heaven and then God the Son comes down to earth to live a life and God the Father is well pleased with him. And so we get a further picture of this relationship at what it took for Jesus to come down in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. It says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I know that's a lot. I know I just threw a lot of text at you right there. But what I'm trying to do is create a picture that you see that first and foremost, Jesus is the all-powerful creator of the universe. He is this lofty God who is over everything. Everything was created through him and for him. And so in him, we all find our identity because he's the one who created us. And then also he has this relationship with God the Father in which they are in unison. And he and the Father are both in unison that he came down to earth to take on flesh for a purpose. And it says in Philippians here that that purpose was to be obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so my question is, 
if God was well pleased, God the Father was well pleased with him, and they were in unison in their relationship, why did he have to die? Right? Why did God have to die? Why did the Son have to die? Why did he have to become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, if it was all a part of his plan to come down, to live a life, and the Father was well pleased with him? It's because of his third role, uh, the third thing that makes him distinct, and that is that he is your Savior. John 3.17 says, For God did not send his own Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So what this means, real plainly, why the son had to die was because he had to die because of my sin. He had to die because I rebelled, I get it wrong. Because there's a problem that happened since everything in earth was created uh, initially. Since Jesus created everything, everything was created through him and for him, he had a design for how this was supposed to play out. He had an idea for what this was supposed to be. We, as his children, were supposed to walk in perfect harmony with him. We were supposed to have this beautiful relationship in which we were in total community with our father. But the problem with that is we rebelled. We sinned, we fell short, and in doing so, we created a divide in that original relationship. We broke it and brought chaos and corruption to it that we couldn't fix on our own. And so we needed a way to be able to fix that design. And so why Jesus had to die, why he came to die, why it was his original goal, why the father was well pleased with him because he did that is because he was the only way. Is because since my sin is what wrecked the relationship, my sin can't be what fixes it, right? When we rebelled, when we broke, we broke away in a way that we couldn't get back to the other side where we couldn't regain that relationship, we couldn't go back to the Father. And so in order to fix that design, a sacrifice needed to be made. That penalty, that payment, that punishment for our rebellion needed to be paid. And God the Son took on flesh and came down for the purpose of being that sacrifice. And he did it because he loved us. He did it because it was his hope, it was his joy, it pleased him and it pleased the Father to know that they were coming, that Jesus the Son was coming to pay that penalty. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. It was his joy to leave that communion that he had with Father in heaven. It was his joy to take on flesh and to come down and bear all of what that meant, all the pain, all the hunger, all the emotion of being a human. It was his joy to do it. And then it was his joy to go to a cross and endure the shame of dying a brutal death because it was his joy to reunite us with our Father. It was his joy to pay that cost. And so he is this savior, this beautiful God who came to heal, who came to offer a sacrifice, who came to be reunited with you so that you would know hope, you would know love, you would know peace. That's the God that he is. 
He is the one who's knocking at the door, offering you a life that is better than you could ever imagine. John 1.12 says, but to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That is who Jesus is as your savior, is he is the one who has paid the penalty after he came down, humbling himself, taking on that penalty, and giving us the opportunity, the right to be called sons or daughters, the God of the universe. But if I'm honest, right, like this doesn't always sink in, right? Like why doesn't this sink in? Why doesn't this stick with me? Because there are days where I wake up and I just don't want to serve someone else, right? Like it doesn't change me to know that Jesus died on a cross. It doesn't affect my mindset in the morning, like when I just want my coffee or I just want like 10 minutes of peace and quiet before my dog starts barking or whatever it is. It doesn't change me to know this truth that Jesus died for me. And why is that? Why doesn't it make me automatically want to be a better husband? Why doesn't it make me want to be a better coworker? Why doesn't it make me want to give my life over for others always because of the example that he made? And I think it comes down to three reasons. The first of which is you don't feel a need for a savior. It doesn't sink in because you worked really hard. And what I mean by that is it doesn't sink in that we need a savior because we work hard enough to feel like we are our own savior, right? Like we will work hard, we will cover every example, we will ace the exam, we will show up early to work, we'll stay late, we'll take on every project so that we don't have to say that we have a need from anyone else that we could ever have to ask for, right? Like we wanna work so hard. Y'all, I am guilty of this all the time. Like when it's funny in my life, like this plays out so many different ways in my life. When it's funny, it's that I will research something to know in, like to an exhausting level, to the point where like my friends know what I'm thinking about buying because I've talked to them and I've asked their friends about their stuff. Like I, I've researched dryers, y'all. Like it's the thing that just gets hot and cools your clothes. I've researched that to no end. And it's just like, I obsess over trying to control this and trying to work to make sure that I don't make a wrong mistake, that I don't need to ask for anyone's help because I don't wanna make a mistake because I can't because I'd let myself down and I'd let others Um, And that's when it's funny. But at its worst, man, I try and play God in my life. Like I try and control every outcome. I try and make sure that I have thought of everything, that I have prepared for everything so that I can have the best possible outcome based on my responsibilities. Like even tonight in this sermon, like my impulse, my snap thought is to try and present a clear picture of Jesus for you that you like him based on my description that you want to turn it over based on how I've presented him to you, not trusting in faith that the God of the universe is going to be able to reveal himself to you because he's that good. I want to do it. I want to take it on myself because I don't want to have to ask for help. And brother, sister, if that is you and you are in this room, I want you to know, I hope that this never happens for you, but those things fail all the time. Whether, whether or not it's a big mistake that's coming on the horizon for you at work, whether it's a test you sleep in for, whether it's a birthday that you forget, there's gonna be mistakes that you're gonna make. And it's gonna slowly start to erode this facade that you're capable of all of those things. 
Or maybe you don't. Maybe you're the only person in history who's never made a mistake. If not, please come talk to me. I would love to go to your school of how to properly order my life. My wife would be very thankful. Um, But even if you don't make any mistakes, even if you've never been that person, there are things that are outside of our control, whether it's sickness, family issues, economy, jobs, people getting laid off, even if they're doing the best work possible. There are so many things about our life that are so far out of our control that at the end of the day, if we are building ourselves up to be our own savior, and I love you enough to say that that will bleed you dry, that will leave you unfulfilled, that will leave you spent, that will leave you burnt out, because I've seen it. I've seen a perfectly healthy friend who played football at TCU get diagnosed with cancer at 23. I've seen a friend's wife leave him for no reason, Uh, no warning, no communication, just up and left. And this persona of I can handle it just crumbles. And in those moments, you want someone who is bigger, who is powerful enough to handle the situations that are totally out of your control. So that's number one, is you don't feel a need for a savior because you work really hard. I love you. I hope that never is something that you try and pick up. Number two, you've tried Jesus, but a Christian life just seems underwhelming. Right? Like, you have done the thing. You've showed up to church. You've gone to the youth group. You've gone to the small group. And you've done all the stuff that you need to. Right, but something about it just doesn't quite seem like it fulfills you. It never kind of overshadowed the life that you had beforehand. You're like, this is really cool, but like, have you been to a TCU football game when they beat OU? You know, it's awesome. Or something along those lines, whatever your thing is. Um, But it just never quite seems to be everything that people have cracked it up to be. And so you're left with this question of, where did it go wrong? Is this something about me? Like, does Jesus not work for me? Um, Why am I not experiencing everything that everyone else has talked about? Um, I don't know is a short answer, but I want to tell you how Jesus describes a relationship with him. And real quickly, in John 10.10, it says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came, this is Jesus speaking, that they may have life and have it abundantly. Again, in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, Jesus says, come to me, all who are labored, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm not sure what went on in your relationship when you checked out Jesus, if this is you, right, where you're thinking you're in the camp that a life with Jesus is underwhelming. I'm not sure what you tried I'm not sure what all that entailed, but what I am sure of is that you didn't get the full picture of Jesus. Because if you leave thinking that a picture of Jesus is anything but awe-striking and overwhelming, then you haven't seen, you haven't seen my Savior. You haven't seen who he is because he's the one who created us and he created us for him. And so, He is the only one who can satisfy the deepest parts of our heart. He's saying that a relationship with him is what gives our soul rest and it gives us the satisfaction that we've always been yearning for. 
Sure, maybe we're good at putting it in somewhere else for a little while, but the fullest expression of satisfaction can only be found in Jesus Christ. And so if that's you in this room, man, I love you. I would invite you, I would challenge you to dive into that relationship with Jesus and see just how good he can be. Okay, we've got those two ways. The third way, the last one, is after, after the first two, is the third way is you feel like he doesn't want to be your savior, right? Like Jesus doesn't do it for you because you feel like he doesn't want to be your savior, whether that's based on your past, whether that's based on sins, mistakes that you've committed in your life, whether you feel like Jesus isn't powerful enough to handle all of that sin or whether you feel like he doesn't want you because your level of sin or your level of mistake or your level of broken, he just doesn't want to deal with. Man, I hope you have seen tonight that Jesus comes for those of us who are broken. Scripture is full, these pages of this Bible are full of references of Jesus' heart being for the broken and downcast his desire being for those who are sick and weary and heavy laden. He's exactly for you. And I could go on more and more trying to throw out superlatives, but I want to leave you with a story in Scripture of just exactly what his heart is. And it's in John 8. And so it says this. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Uh, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. But Jesus bent down and he wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let he who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on, sin no more. This, this is the heart of our God. This woman in the midst of the most vulnerable, raw moment of her life, the worst mistake that she could ever think to make, is dragged out of that mistake and thrown at the very feet of the religious elite. Instead of even having a conversation with her about why did it happen, you know, what can we do to help? They're asking, should we stone her? Should we kill her, Jesus? Is that what we should do? And what he does is he reminds them, are you so great that you don't have any sin yourself? He comes to her defense and meets her in her most vulnerable moment and picks her up, he defends her and he says, does anyone condemn you? No. Well, neither do I. Get up and go and sin no more. Jesus meets her in the most vulnerable moment she could ever imagine herself in, defends her, and then forgives her. 
to tell her to go live a life that I've created you for. So that is the heart of our Jesus. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know the poor pictures of Jesus that have been in your life. But my prayer for you is that wherever you've been, whatever experience you've had, that you leave here tonight knowing that your God went the lengths of the universe and died an excruciating death because he loved you enough to be your savior. Let's pray. Father, you, you are so much better than we deserve. God, you are an incredibly kind and gracious savior. And I don't know what pain is going on in this room. I don't know what hurts. I don't know what suffering is going on in this room. But I know that you do. So God, I pray that you would meet with and minister to every single hurt, every single pain that is in this room tonight. And that as we do business, as we process this picture of Jesus um, that we see from scripture, God, I pray that it would change us. That everyone in this room, whether they've been a believer for their entire life or whether this is their first time hearing a picture of Jesus, God, I pray that they would see a picture of a God who for who sacrificed all of the comfort and all of the joy of being in heaven with the Father to come down to earth, endure a life of suffering, of trial, of confusion so that he could reunite a lost lost and wandering group of sinners with their heavenly Father. So God, I pray like that is the image, that is the picture that we leave here with tonight and that whatever business needs to be done, God, that you, you would put it in our hearts to go find someone to talk to, to go reach out to anyone who needs you. And God, that you would be quick to heal the brokenhearted, the downcast. And God, that if there's any pain in this room, that they would trust you with it because you are good enough to handle it. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. We hope today's message was impactful and God used it to be part of the transforming work he wants to do in your life. Look, our desire is that this isn't just a resource you would listen to, but that this is really a community you would belong to. If you have any further questions, you just want to talk or need prayer, reach out to us. Our contact info is on the website, renovateftw.org, or connect with us on our social media, at RenovateFTW, and we would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you again soon.